0: Just going to be, uh, let's see, reading from Psalm 32. And when we look at the Psalms, uh, when we look at these, and I think I might have sh- uh, shared this last week sometime, not exactly sure because God gives the word and a lot of different times he, <laughs> there's a lot that he gives. And so, but I do believe uh, we had mentioned that this is Psalm 22 of course when it says a a psalm of David which is you'll see a lot of these really it's a psalm of David obviously when it's the Lord it's the spirit of Christ many 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 psalms are written in in the spirit of Christ dealing with him and his person or about a work the work that that he's accomplishing And, and uh but here, this, this psalm is known as a miscal, miscal psalm, and that means many times it's a golden or a psalm or a miscal, which means it's a teaching. It is a teaching psalm, and, and many have referred to it as didactic, and didactic simply means teaching or instruction. And so here, this obviously, in this part of the psalm here this particular psalm and there's only eleven verses he's dealing he is dealing with with the nation of Israel but in in a, he as as the way that he has in the past but also here in the future in the future so when you read psalm thirty two when you read psalm thirty two one to eleven it's going to be brought out it's going to be brought out in a, in a very very concise way in Matthew the 24th chapter in Matthew 24 and so I'll read this these 11 verses and then we'll see what God has it says here in verse 1 blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered now we know that our sins are more than covered we as the church they've already been dealt with okay all through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, for instance, in, in Exodus 25, uh, 17 to 22, it talks about the mercy seat. The mercy seat is called the kaporath, and that simply means covering. So sin, when God was dealing with people, and this is brought out in Romans the third chapter in the tw- 25th verse, that he was just in passing over the sins of those that looked to Christ forward to what he was going to do on the cross, their sins. And so that's why Job would say in 1417, he he has sewed up my iniquity in a bag. And that's why it says in Micah 7 verse 18, who's a God like unto you that passes by iniquity, you cast it into the depth of the sea. And that's a anthropopathism which simply means that we ascribe something to God and even in, in his mind or his emotions and how he deals with things. Their sins, okay, their sins were covered. Those that look forward to the cross, we look back to the cross, which is the finished work that Christ actually came. Now Galatians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse bring that out clearly who is made of a woman under under the law to redeem them. To redeem them. So, and again, when it says that, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes, puts to their account, not their iniquities, and in whose spirit, their spirit, the human spirit, there is no guile, no deceit. They've been... They've recognized that they've had a need. They've recognized that they needed a savior, just like we did. And again, all our sins are dealt with. They are gone and gone forever as we obviously look back to what Christ has finished. Here, again, God was not imputing their sins to them. In a sense, he was passing them by (laughs) and he was having mercy and covering them. That's again what Job was bringing out of the Holy Spirit in Job 14, 17, and we said in Micah 7, 18, and 19. And that's why it says this, and this is where we need the whole preponderance of the Scriptures to understand. So when we look back to this particular Psalm, we we garner a lot of truth, we glean a lot of truth that's ours. But again, it's teaching us things presently, and we're going to see that. We will see that. But that's why here, again, when you read Psalm thirty-two, when you read this in, in Psalm thirty-two, when you read it, and when you read it again. In 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 Psalm thirty-four, these psalms, but again, specifically a masculine psalm here in in thirty-two, this is when God was passing by until Christ would actually come and be put on the cross, that bag that was in Job's iniquity that was sewed up and God wasn't dealing with, he was passing over, was put on Christ. But his faith, dependence, was looking forward to that. Our faith looks back because it is finished. And so this again, this will bring out a lot of uh, truth this morning. But here, here we can see this. In Romans chapter 4, and we see it again, in, 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 uh, spe- specifically in Romans 3, verse 25, it says this, Whom God set forth to be a propitiation, a hesterion, a propitiation, it says, through faith in his blood, the fin- what he was going to do, shed it on the cross, to declare His righteousness. Now look what it says: for the remission of sins that are past. <laughs> See all theirs that were past. Ours, in this in this uh, time of grace, the time of the church, this particular period of the church, we look back. We look back because it's finished for us. Because Christ actually came and did that. That's why we're a heavenly people. He's not yet. He's not yet dealing. He's not yet dealing with, with those, those Jews that in the future he'll be dealing with on, on the earth when he prior to him coming back and when he actually does come back. So again, it says, <clears throat> a propitiation through faith, dependence in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. See? To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. So in other words, here in Psalm 32, 1, when he was covering those sins, he was looking at their faith dependence on his son who in the future, thousands of years in the future, would come and actually deal with that. This is what this is teaching here. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and he was being just. He was being just. And the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Now, all of those, obviously, prior to Christ actually coming and, and finishing the work, and prior to establishing the church, they're not of the church. This is where a lot of teaching comes in of mixing the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and bringing them over into a Christian experience in a Christian position because we must remember that those, he was dealing with the kingdom and that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of bad teaching because of that. But again, here it says this, Blessed is the man in, in Psalm 32.2 unto whom the Lord imputes, not puts to his account this iniquity because he was passing over it in his forbearance in Romans three verse 25, knowing that his son would deal with that because their faith looked forward and he considered that for those particular Jews at that time And because if we look at this, were all the Jews truly of true Israel, were they? Did God consider them to be so? We know that in Romans the ninth chapter, it says this very, very clearly. In verse seven, Romans uh, nine, verse seven. Neither because they are the seed, Well, verse six, not as though the word of God has, has taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Notice, there was only those who in Psalm 32 actually trusted and believed in those sacrifices that it was going to be Christ. And their faith went forward to it. Well, did all believe? We know here. No. For they are not all, in Romans 9, 6, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. There's a lot of bad teaching that makes the whole children of God, and remember when it says children of God in the, in the uh, Old Testament, they're not necessarily those that are owned by God. They're called children of Israel, but are they all Israel? Are they all truly gods and the answer is here again no for they are not all Israel which are of Israel now we have to remember in the old covenant and in Matthew Mark and Luke it was kingdom teaching which had to do with the Jews alone not the church now we can glean from those things and learn by them in Romans 15 and verse 4 in First Corinthians ten six and eleven, we can and we do see not as though in Romans nine six, not as though the word of God has taken on effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because listen to this, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham, the Jews that came out from him, because the the father of all the Jews was Abraham, the beginning of the Jewish nation was Abraham. And then Abraham and Sarah, they had a son, Isaac, to continue the royal line for Jesus Christ to come through. Were they all, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children, specifically owned by God? But in Isaac will your seed be called. See, they had to believe in Jesus, in the Christ that would come and deal with their sins. Did all do that? No. Do even all do it today? Do all receive Christ as their Savior? Very few. In terms of the whole. We know that in Matthew 7 and verse 13. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many there be that that go in. But narrow is the way that leads to salvation and there are few that find it. Very few. As opposed to the whole. But... Again, we can look at this, the seriousness of where we, the soberness, not that we don't have joy and experience the depth of fellowship, because everything is finished for us. I mean, he supplied all of our need, Christ already, in Philippians 4 and verse 19. He hasn't done that. He'll never do it in a way that he's done it for us, by the way, because the church, we the church, are the most intimate people with him for all eternity all eternity. There's none that get any closer. That's why we're the bride. Many will serve him and and worship him on the earth as their Messiah, their Savior. But we'll all be married to him like you and I are. And the answer is no. So what we have is so incredible. It is so amazing. And the word of God is so amazing. And that's why, you know, for me, it's a privilege to spend the hours in it, to take it in, uh, to be able to put the, the posts, to be able to write these booklets. It's an absolute privilege of its unbelievable grace. And it's something that I would I have to have that. And I have to do it. And I as I've said before, and I'm so thankful for it, you know, that, you know, in, in uh First Timothy five and verse seventeen, first Thessalonians twelve, and thirteen and uh, it, it's a privilege to be able to do that to labor and it takes labor and I and I can, and I love it and but I just want to make it clear it takes far more labor than physical carpentry labor that I've ever done at any time in my life. It takes far more labor and 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 I'm very thankful and all I am is a vessel <laughs> of his pure mercy. Grace, truth, and unconditional love. But nevertheless, by his grace, it is a labor. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. None of us are qualified. None of us deserve it. Yet I labored more abundantly than they all, Paul said in fifteen ten. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And it's a privilege to do it too. It's an absolute privilege to do it. Blessed is the man, so, unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. This is Psalm 32, verse 2. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel, but we can look at it. And in whose spirit there's no guile. Verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through all my my roaring all the day. Now this is going into the sin of David in, in Bathsheba. Many call her Bathsheba. Okay, we'll say it, the English word. The Hebrew is Bathsheba, but we'll say Bathsheba because that's what we're familiar with. And uh, and we know that story in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, and then Nathan met him in the 12th chapter. And when he should have been at war, he was taken a day off. Boy, we get in trouble, don't we? We take time off from God, what we should do, what we should know we should do. Whew. And that's what David did. He should, have been, he should have been fighting the battle. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 12 and 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, I fight the good fight of faith. And a big part of that is, is studying and getting in the word of God till you're physically exhausted. Again, and, and it's such a privilege too, by the way, to be able to do it. Just to be able to do it is a tremendous tremendous privilege and we all have that privilege by the way to do it anytime we want we can go to the word isn't that amazing any single time we want but christ has to be the object for us to do it well this was psalm 32 was written before psalm 51 you see the psalms aren't all necessarily in chronological order because in psalm 51 He was acknowledging his sin in Psalm 51, 4 and 5. He said, this sin that I did, this evil in your sight, was referring to what he did with Bathsheba. And also, trying to cover his sin, had his best friend put on the front lines and killed to try and cover his sin. Because God knows it. And we know one thing in Numbers 32 and verse 23, your sin will find you out. Not to, and for us, again, he it doesn't find us out to condemn us because there's no condemnation for us in Christ in Romans 8.1. Thank God for that. But this is what he was saying. This was a process, and it was a whole year in 32 of Psalm before he confessed in Psalm 51. It was a whole year. He said, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, he, verse, verse three, when I kept silence, in other words, when I didn't want to deal with it, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. It was, ro- it was like a roaring inside of him. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and even in discipline and chastisement, it's grace. His hand was upon him. My, <clears throat> my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah, pause, meditate, and think of these things. Verse five, I acknowledge my sin unto you and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah, stop. Meditate on these things. We have, When we look back here, we can meditate and say, thank you, God, that you don't chastise me to make me pay for my sin. Even when I confess it in 1 John 1, 9, it's not a prayer petitioning God for forgiveness. We're already forgiven. We're confessing who Christ is and we're naming what we did and the fact, and that's homologeo, name it and cite it that he has dealt with it. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, there will be a godly sorrow, but it will never be with regret. Worldly sorrow has something to be regretted, but we don't. And that's why even chastisement comes in, so that we don't live in worldly regret. We have to answer to him. Thank God. It's a gracious God and not a judge for us. He said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now think of that. We already have been forgiven. That's why it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, forgive. We should forgive one another. Why? Because we're already forgiven. We've been given every means to do so. Every single means to do so. We don't hold each other accountable. We trust in the Lord in Proverbs 3, 5 with all our mind. And then we stop leaning to our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge Him, then He'll direct our paths. That path That there is in Proverbs 3 and verse 6 is that path in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. It just gets brighter and brighter, more and more. He's a greater, it's like the sun shining brighter and brighter and brighter. The sun, our, our precious savior, the sun, who's the source of all life. Physically, the sun, the sun that we have, our dwarf star, without it would there be life physically. There would be none. We look to him, we look to him, we're thankful for the word that we get. Thankful for it. All of us. And I've just been so thankful for the word. And just, again, heaven and earth is going to pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. But my word will not pass away. That's Jesus Christ. And us in him. <laughs> it's so amazing. And we're on our way to see him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. For this will everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. In a time when you may be found. You know, prophecy in the Bible, we've been talking about prophecy and God has led me back again to, into a deep study of prophecy along with constantly receiving who I am in Christ. And that has to be a constant. So that we don't get carried away from intimacy with Christ into seeing and f- making what's going on on the earth and prophecy to even be our object, okay? Because then there's going to be some fear, and we're gonna we're gonna lower when we look when we forget Christ and our position in Him, who He is, and our object. We not only lower ourselves, we lower Him. <laughs> and so He said this. You godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they will not come near unto him. Floods of prophecy, floods of evil that we're in the midst of, we're not of. We're in the world in John 17, verse 16, but we're not of it because Jesus was never in 17 and verse 14 of John. He's not, and neither are we. Neither are we. Those are the struggles. We don't struggle with who we are in Christ. (laughs) There's no struggle there, that's finished. And that even has to do with his loving chastisement too to bring us back to a proper place as sons. Because he only deals in a depth of love and even in chastisement. Chastisement, it's never punishment, it's correction. It's correction, that's what it is. In Hebrews chapter 12, you will see that in verses 4 right to the 29th verse and you'll see it in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. He chastens every single son that is his. So, so when it says the floods here, this is all of what's going on in prophecy in the world system. He's getting the earth ready. Prophecy has to do with the earth. has nothing to do with our heavenly position. That's why it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know who that is? That's Christ. He's already dealt with us. He's our surety and our certainty. But just as sure and as certain as he is ours, our resurrection life. In Acts 17 and verse 30, there was a time when he blinked at sin. it would pass by, it says. But now he commands every single person to change their mind about receiving Christ as their Savior because there is a resurrection in Acts 17 and verse 31. And that resurrection is proof of two things. One, no judgment for us that are in Christ. Two, judgment's coming on the earth because prophecy has to do with the earth and prophecy has to do with failure. Is God making me pay for my failures? No, but he's correcting me. In no, his love, because his love has finished everything about me. But here, this is, this is going to be going into Matthew, the 24th chapter. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. For us, it's Colossians 3.3. 3. We died already. We're dead to ourselves, and we're hidden with Christ in God. And to be hidden with Christ in God... Is something that he told Mary at the tomb before she recognized him as her rabbi, rabbi, teacher, master. She thought he was the gardener. And he said to her, well, finally, when he could say her name, and boy, he can say his name. He says our name, doesn't he personally? And he's got a new one waiting for us in Revelations 2 and verse 17. But he spoke Mary's name. He spoke her name. And she wanted to clutch and keep him all to herself. All to herself. But he said, no, I have to go to my father in the most unique way, in terms of his deity, and your father. My God, who I always pleased, in John eight twenty nine 29, and Romans 15, 3, and your father. He's our father. That's who we have in Christ. You are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. You will compass me about with songs of deliverance. Now stop, Selah, stop, meditate. Listen, stop, think. Calmly, that's what it means in Hebrew. Calmly stop and meditate and think of these things. Now for us, think about what we have. Think about it. I will instruct you, and here it is. See, this is a misgeld a miscal psalm, a teaching, a didactic, a teaching psalm. It's teaching things. And we can look back and say, yes, this is all ours in Christ and what he's done. And this is what he's leading ultimately true Israel to. Remember true Israel, Romans 9, 6 and 7. True Israel, again, brought out in, 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 in a beautiful way also, In uh, Galatians 6, I believe it's verse 16. You are my hiding place. You'll preserve me from trouble. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding. You know what a mule does? We have this mule nature, don't we? We have this fleshly nature in in us, but we're not of it in Romans 8, 9, but it's still in us, and God uses it to teach what we're not and to show us, get us back to viewing him as our object. So Jeremiah 2 and verse 19 says, When it's not grace and truth teaching us, didactic teaching us, then your own backslidings will correct you because you're like the mule in 2.23 of Jeremiah who kicks up his heels in rebellion and stubbornness. (laughs) That goes into James the third chapter too, you could see that, and how evil and good functions in the tongue. It's this little member, it's like this huge ship but has a little rudder and that little rudder will turn that whole ship. That's like what the tongue is. And you don't need, do we need a bridle and a bed? To constrain and restrain the horse? No, but we certainly need a yoke, don't we? We talked about the yoke all last week. We put up, there's a all kinds of messages. There's a labor that goes into those, the study of those messages. There's a labor that goes into preaching those. And then there's labors of those that put them on here. A lot of labor goes into this. And we never have to be without the word, by the way. And the word spoken here is for every single one of us here. It really is. And they're right there when we can't be there. Right there for us. Because it's the word of God. Thank God in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said, I thank God that when you receive the word, You don't receive the word as 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 the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Listen, and when you receive it that way, it works effectually in you that believe, that trust, that you trust God for that. That you trust God for it. And again, we see that uh, where this is this is leading to. (laughs) Really amazing. That's why it says again. And again, here in Psalm 32, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, be not as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding. In other words, which refuses it. There There can be refusal. When God gives us the word, when he puts it on there, do we partake of it? Or do other things occupy us? Be not as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding. You know, in Hosea 4, verse 6, the Holy Spirit said to the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Do you know what that means? It's not that they didn't have it. They had it, but refused it. Refusal takes all kinds of forms, you know. It takes all kinds of forms. The enemy wants to convince us that we have enough. When God's pouring out this amount And he convinces us that just what he gives us the little is enough. (laughs) It's enough. So God would prepare a five-star meal and you would come in and just have the, what do you call those before the meal, the appetizers and then leave and be satisfied. And just be satisfied with that. Boy, (laughs) very convicting. (laughs) And I say for me, by the way, when I say that, I'm not speaking for anybody else who have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto you. Ooh, a backslidden Christian, they're they're still his, they're not our enemy, but they can be very hard to deal with. Isaiah 3, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, their countenance testifies against them. It's like nonverbal communication. And we've all experienced that at times. Many sorrows will be to the wicked." And the wicked there always speaks of an unbeliever. You'll see that in, in Isaiah 57 verses 20 and 21. The wicked, really, it's the unbelievers are like the sea, the troubled sea that casts up mud. There is no peace, it says, my God, to the wicked or to the unbelieving. Now, Christ is our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. We not only have Christ as our peace, and we we have the God of peace and the peace of God in Philippians 4, 7 and in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. We have it, not as the world gives in John 14, 27. The peace that he gives us is not the peace that the world gives. You know, if we're excited to be with people, it should be about winning them. It shouldn't just be being with them and doing something for us as Christians? Because if they, that's a that's a horizontal view, it's not vertical. No. Seek first the kingdom of God. Boy, how about our schedules? Seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added unto you. Read Matthew the sixth chapter and those thirty-four verses. Because what gives us all this anxiety? I'll tell you what it is. It's material things. That's what brings in the anxiety. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ ruling and reigning over us because isn't it love and grace and truth? And what might be right for another might not be for another and vice versa. Many sorrows will be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy will compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous and shout for joy all you that are upright in heart. Now we have all of this in Christ, but this was an instructive teaching and it's teaching. And what this is going into is the Jews on earth, not us, some teach that the church that we are has to go through the tribulation period absolutely never true it's called Jacob's trouble that's Jeremiah 30 in verse 7 and Jacob's name was changed in Genesis 32 in verse 28 23 to 28 his name Jacob was changed to what Israel the nation of Israel that's who he's dealing with getting the earth ready to deal with Israel's enemies and to deal with them because the whole purpose of this whole Bible here for you and I and all this teaching that we get here is that God may be known. Now we know God in a way, the most incredible way than any other people group. We know him through his precious son, being married to him. But everything about it, all prophecy is, okay, all right, we we know him. We, We know him, which is so phenomenal. We actually know him right now because we're heavenly people in a most intimate way. In the most intimate way. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me in John 14 and verse nine, you see the Father. Because they said in John 14 verse eight, show us the Father. And Jesus said, listen, and they said, show us the Father and that will be suffice us. That will be great. That's what we need. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. The word of God, Christ, is the very declaration, manifestation, and revelation of what the invisible God is in person through Jesus Christ. And we have him in the most intimate way. Again, prophecy is dealing with the earth. Prophecy is dealing with failure. And Jesus Christ is coming to correct it on the earth. We've already been corrected and he's going to continue to correct us in our experience based upon a position that he finished us in him and him in us. He's finished it. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. Matthew 24 and verse 35. But my word will not pass away. Of that day and hour, no, no man, Twenty-four thirty-six of Matthew. But as it was in the days of Noah in 2437, so will it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. That's how close we are. That's how close we are. And that's why we, we want to get everything that we can get about who we are in Christ through this word, because it's the most important thing. The most important people in your life are your local assembly, your body, period. Not that you don't love others. Nope. But those are the ones who should seek to spend the absolute overwhelming majority of your time. Is the body of Christ. And even if it is two or three, in Matthew 18 and verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, meaning his, his person is their object and the work that he finished, he said, there am I in the midst. Wouldn't you rather be with him in his midst? He dwells in us. Wouldn't you rather be with others? that are your body, flesh and bone. Did you know that? Members in particular, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. One body though, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. We're his body, flesh and bone, Ephesians 5 and verse 30. We are the church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. We are the church, but we're the bride. He's the bridegroom. In Revelations 19, verses 7 and nine. There's no question about these truths. And they're all ours in Christ. And thank God we can have these messages on prophecy. I've talked with, I talked with Mike again. We're going to start a class again and go right into the depth of prophecy. But always bringing in the beauty of who we are in Christ. Always building on the foundation of who we are in Christ. I marvel at the word of God every single morning. Right, and, and we should see each other that way. I marvel at the word of God. And by his pure grace, I don't take it for granted. I, I just count it a privilege. And every single day I just in, in every every hour that I spend, it's just it's a miracle to me. I'm like, God, this is a miracle. And and you would give all of this to me. The, and the and at times I would say, Why do you do this, God? The answer is I love you. God's people. Your life is here, is with God's people. And unless you're sitting at Jesus' feet, and that's a picture of the body, by the way, in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Unless you're sitting at his feet, Mary's a type of us, type this, sitting at Jesus' feet receiving. Because if not, you'll be with Martha serving in irritation. Always find something to be irritated about, always. And then want others to join you in your irritation because that's what she was doing. And thank God for what we have. It's so amazing. This is why men, God, men, God, I mean, I'm telling you. Like men, I, you know, I tell you, I can't miss it. I honestly, I cannot miss the word for myself every morning. I cannot do it. And, and it's not braggadocio. It's like, what is my option? It's either Christ the Word, His counsel, or my flesh. Pick one. Pick one. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We have this Word, we have this fellowship. We can honor one another. We can. We've heard, like many times we were heard, we heard, and we got a lot of good teaching. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of good teaching and there's things that I'm still learning and growing in, by the way. And anything that's expressed through me as a vessel, I have not yet come to the full end of. <laughs> I want to make that clear too. But when it talks about double honor, we used to have it taught, you honor you honor the pastor like, whew, way more than you'd honor anybody else. That's the way it was taught. He's everything. It's not. We honor and submit to one another in Ephesians 5 verse 21. And the same honor, the same honor. But the honor there is support, material support for the, for the teacher. That's double honor, that's what it teaches. That's precisely what it teaches, emphatically. And it's all grace, it's all Christ, it's all his specific order. And even that Psalm 32, and we're going to get into it this week in, in a deeper way. How that is the, the beginning of sorrows, and you're going to see what's happening there. Okay? What, what you think right now is bad, it's not even the beginning of the sorrows yet. I'm telling you, God is preparing us. He is. He did it for 120 years through Noah. He taught for 120 years. And because it it would seem like it was the same every single day that people were free to eat, drink, and be merry because that was their life. And the whole time he was building that ark, which was a type of Jesus Christ. The whole time. And then he was preaching. And others could, the majority, out of all civilization, how many went in? Eight. The whole rest were wiped out with judgment because that dealt with the earth. He'll never again baptize the earth in water in Genesis, the ninth chapter. He will never do that again. The rainbow is the sign that he won't in 9, 13, and 14 of Genesis. There's no, he won't do that. But he will, he is, right after everything, right after Satan... Is finally dealt with in Revelations, the 20th chapter. He's going to baptize the earth with fire. Every, all the elements are going to melt. You know all that material stuff? We make it's going to go. You'll see that in 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13, based upon Isaiah 65 and verse 17 and Isaiah 66 and verse 22, a new heavens and a new earth. Because when it says the first heavens and the first earth, first earth were passed away, doesn't mean they're going to not exist. It means they're going to change. That's based upon Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4, Isaiah 45 and verse 17, and Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 3 and verse 21, the world is without end. It's going to change. <laughs> the first one in its appearance is going to pass away. He purifies and baptizes the earth with fire, where we will rule and reign with him, and heaven and earth become one. And that's when the last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There'll be no more. When Christ rules and reigns and puts down all his enemies, and then in the 28th verse of 1 Corinthians 15, that God, even Christ himself, with us, will submit so that, his, that God will be all in all. <laughs> and that's the picture of Revelations 21, 1 and 2. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and they become one. If you look at his throne in Revelations 4 and verse 3, you see well, uh, like a rainbow, but it's, circul- it's circular. You see this on the earth, it was the promise—the promise of this 180 rainbow. Because Christ was going to come and accomplish it, what He's already done for us is going to be dealt with now on the earth, and that's where He rules on the throne in Revelation four and verse three. Now it's circular; <laughs> He finishes. Do you know what God does? He finishes what He starts. Faithful is He who calls you. Who will what? Also do it. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24. But that has to do with you and I as the church, by the way, that verse. And of course, in all its totality. I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord. And faithful is he who called you, and we're the called ones in Romans 8.28. Who will also do it? He's got... He's got us in his hands. He's never gonna let us go. We're heavenly people. Our view is vertical. It's not horizontal on this earth. It's not. It's not horizontal. Our view is to be, and you'll see that in Colossians 3, one, specifically in verse two. Set your mind, not your affections, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That doesn't mean we're ignorant of prophecy and what's going on, but we don't set our mind on it. And that's why even when we preach and teach prophecy, it's always bringing in the reality of our foundation, the finished work of Jesus Christ, who he is in us and who we are in him. Amen? Amen. So Father, thank you for this truth. And that Psalm 32 is dealing, that is preparing Israel Revelations chapter 6 and verse 18 have nothing to do with the church not a single thing we come back with him from a heavenly place in revelations 19 11 to 16 we see him speak the word and end the battle battle of megiddo battle of armageddon in the valley of megiddo he speaks the word and ends that battle because we come back with him. He binds Satan in Revelations 20, verses 2 and 3, and and sets up his millennial kingdom where we rule and reign with him, not only over over the Jews and over the nations, but also over angels in 1 Corinthians 6, 1, 1 through 3. As those angels look into our lives, right now, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, the B part, they they look into the things of the church and learn about their, their creator, things they would not otherwise know. And they look in on our life, and they learn by it. And Father, we thank you for this truth. Again, Lord, thank you for your precious word. Your word is precious and your preciousness and you give it, you give it to men that they have to submit to its intimacy and truth that they can give others, but they first have to understand themselves and then they can make others understand. And this again goes into Daniel the 11th chapter and it goes into the 12th chapter. Those that be wise will shine as the stars, meaning making multitudes understand, truth through the word of God, the eternal word, far more than any physical material thing. And we just thank you and praise you, God, for this reality. In Jesus' name. Amen.